as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. We're going to first in the. First in Texas, I got this name wrong the last time uh, my friend was here. Robert Saldana is a robotics coach at, at Mac High, and we're here to talk about robotics and how big of a competition that is fast approaching. Uh, he joins us now. Uh, let's let's go back to the beginning for the people that haven't um, heard you before on the station, Robert. What is First in Texas? Uh, First in Texas is... is a collection of a bunch of robotics teams across the state of Texas. Uh, most of us compete in either the first tech challenge or even um, the first robotics competition, which is FRC, as well as the Lego League for our elementary and middle school teams. And what is it that these teams are hoping to achieve? Uh well, these teams are trying to learn about STEM, robotics, and how to work as a team. Um, they're learning how to, you know, challenge themselves and put themselves in uncomfortable positions and basically learning as much as they possibly can from these situations. We're talking about lots of really good uh, education that we do need for the future, the STEM education, the science, technology, engineering, and math education, and all of these things are put into place uh, in the robotics programs that we have here in the Rio Grande Valley, and they're all competing f for uh, uh, in, a, in a robotics competition that's coming up very, very quickly, part of First in Texas. Robert Saldana is a coach at Mac High for robotics. He's our guest on your 956 Drive Home, and I believe you brought a special guest this time around. Is that correct? That is correct. I have Christopher Ham. We know him as Chris Ham. He is the uh, lead person here at uh, Gigabots, um, and he is doing an awesome job. And he's here with us today. What What made you want to get into this, Chris? So, just robotics. I actually just heard it from a class that I enrolled in. I wasn't even supposed to have that class. I think my schedule was a bit messed up. But I just heard about it, and and it seemed like a really good opportunity. How and did, how did I you, had like uh, I had some passion with coding, so I wanted to pursue coding for robotics. How were you able to uh, inquire about the robotics program, and what is it about this uh, first in Texas robotics program that that sparked something in you to pursue it further? So I actually joined with my friend. Uh, we went after school with a teacher, and we just inquired the teacher about uh, what robotics really is. And what made me want to stay is that it had a different approach to just, like, robotics. It also had um, 
just like a focus on teamwork and being gracious with your other teammates and just like being kind to each other while also in a competition. What is your favorite thing so far that you have learned with this program? I think my favorite thing is to learn how to trust people. Uh, I think growing up like in middle school, I had a hard time just working on group projects because I couldn't work with people. Even if the people in my team were were really good and were doing their work, I just I, I had a really hard time working with them because I didn't feel I I never agreed with them. But like being in this team, I learned how to really work with people, how to trust people to do their job, and how to trust them so that the whole team benefits as a whole. Chris Ham is part of Gigabots, which is part of the robotics program, one of the teams competing, part of First in Texas. There's a lot going on here. Uh, it, this is on, uh, you're listening to 710 KURV, and uh, break us break it down for us, what, it, what your role is on the team, what it is that you do, and uh, what is a what what is a practice session like? I, I guess is a good question. So, like I said, I wanted to join the team as a coder, but as I like as I went to more of practices, I eventually became the main cadder of the team. Cadding is basically computer design, and it has like a artistic approach to it. And that's when I realized that I have a lot of uh, talent for aesthetics and design. So now I have, I'm, my main role is just organizing, uh, designing for the robot. And our practices are, like, most of my work I do outside of practice. Because it's a lot of online stuff. Like, all the spreadsheets I do, all my drawings, I do it outside of the practices. But in each practices... That's, that's those practices I use to meet up with my team to like really get to know them and like those practices are valuable because we have team bonding and even though I do most of my work outside of those practices I still I still need to really get to know my team and for the people at home who have never seen this in action before what is competition like what are the what's the the, the goal that the robots are trying to achieve in competition so we have a specific game to this year, and basically our first goal is to just uh, get as many points. We In each game, there's two alliances of two teams, and then those alliances go against each other. And it's like my first time doing being part of these competitions. It was super nerve-wracking, a lot was going on, and like your main instinct is to just win. But, like, these competitions is a lot more than just winning. You get to work with a team. Because you're alliance with a random team. Uh, like, your alliance could be your opponent the next round. So, it's you have to be on your toes. But also, like, get to learn to work with a lot of different people. There's teams that have super different work ethics. And there's also teams that, like, you might not even know how it's going to work. But once you get on the field... That, like none of that matters you just have to work together as a team so it's a really it's a really unique experience and uh, but it's a lot of fun as well because you see the game unfolding uh, you have losses you have wins 
it's, it's just a fun experience in general. And I need to clarify with the audience too that uh, th this is not battle bots. You're not you're not um, pitting two robots against each other. You have specific tasks for these robots, correct? You have to build something or or move a ball from one end of the field to the other. Yes. So in each game, there's actually a rule saying that you can't really interfere with the robots. You can't like go attack another team's robot, but. Like, we have a specific task, whether it's placing a cone to this specific spot or pushing this cube to this area. Like, it's it's, it's a bunch of specific tasks. Uh, we also have a similar thing in our school, which is battle bots. That's when you actually have robots that clash against each other and covert of us. But, uh, yeah, that's just, like, another thing that most of our members in already in robotics do as well. Our guest is Chris Ham. He's part of Gigabots, which is one of the teams at McAllen High School, and they compete in First in Texas, which is a big STEM education robotics competition, and it's fast approaching. So, uh, as the competition is is uh, is coming up, what are some of the things that you need to do to get ready? So to get ready, just uh, we're focusing on driver practice because. I mean, ultimately, the performance of robots is going to uh, be based on the driver. So, like, the person actually driving the robot. And, we're all, like, right now we have our robot with two drivers. So we're teaching another driver because we only had one main driver this year. But, and another thing is also the coding aspect. Uh, every change we make to the robot, it changes our autonomous, our code. And that's something that we always have to keep refining. So, and as well as just speaking, like, uh, the another part of the competition is the actual interview part, where they ask about a robot, how we fundraise as a team, what we do as a community, and that part is something that our team uh, is, like, uh, working super hard to just improve on, uh, whether it's, not, like, not talking awkwardly with the judges or just, like, Calming your nerves, like just th that kind of I stuff. Hear you. That's I hear the you. most stuff we're focusing. Hey, Chris. Well, we uh, wish you the the best of luck in this. We hope to hear from you and uh, Mr. Saldana again very, very soon. That's uh, Christopher Ham from Gigabots, part of First in Texas, the robotics program, and one of the teams competing from uh, McAllen High School. Joining us on News Talk Seven Ten K U R V. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. We got some pretty big questions of the following guest, and he is one of our favorite people to go to for things like this. 
What is Nord Stream? We head to Tim Snyder from Matador Economics, matadoreconomics.com. Get the new sign up for the free newsletter from Tim Snyder. So lots of news here. And uh, real quickly, I want to get the Nord Stream stuff out first. And uh, for the sake of the audience, this is a message to the audience. Uh, we are not going to entertain um, narrative or story a lot. This is going to be a very, cl a very clinical definition and uh, explanation of what Nord Stream is, what it does, and what we're going to do now that it's not there anymore. Uh, Tim Snyder, what is Nord Stream? It's a pipeline between northern Russia and northern Europe, primarily. And how big is it? It's big. I think there's like 1,700 miles of pipe in that um, entire system. Um, there's actually two of them. There's Nord Stream 1 uh, that's complete and is functioning. And then the second one was Nord Stream 2, and that's the one that was right about to be completed um, when you know we the Russians in the U.S. and northern Europe all got sideways and they pulled the plug on Nord Stream 2. How long has Nord Stream been? Uh been up and functioning a uh, number of years it's been around for a while uh it's just it just wasn't big enough to handle the load that needed to to, co to cover primarily northern europe um how how much of northern europe how 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 much uh how much of europe relies well, actually on they actually they've got uh terminals that touch on uh probably three ports and then they've got um, some other issues that uh, additional pipe that runs out throughout Europe. So it covers it covers a, a large percentage of Europe. I think it doesn't cover. Um, I, I don't think it covers uh, England and some of those parts. But it's primarily just the EU right now. Joining us on 710 KURV is Tim Snyder from Matador Economics. We're talking about Nord Stream right now. Davy uh, Davis Rankin, your question. Well, the which one got blowed up or blew up, um, and where was it? For some reason, I thought it was in the middle of the Atlantic, which tells you how closely I paid attention to this. Um, and who did North it? North Sea. North Sea, okay. Dude, good questions. David, you always ask the best questions. Um, oh, thank you. The, it, it was the North Sea, and it was uh, they, they believe it was some sabotage. The problem with this and why it's still an issue is that there has been further sabotage. There's been further uh, breaches in the pipeline, uh, primarily the natural gas portion of that pipeline. And um, I hate to say this, but there is evidence. I went back and looked at the evidence that shows that President Biden threatened Vladimir Putin and said, if you cross the Ukraine border with troops and armament, specifically tanks, we will take you out. A reporter said, what does that mean? He said, we will blow you away. And he's talking about Nord Stream Pipeline. Wow. That's mighty brave. Yes. To, um, so does it make any difference who did it? I mean, as a practical matter, it cut off the delivery of natural gas. And I don't know how long it would take them to reestablish a pipeline to deliver it, assuming that people want to buy it. But does it really make any difference? I'm just curious about that. Honestly, you know, most of that's been covered anyway, and it's not, it's been a bit more of a mild winter in uh, the in northern yeah. Europe than they had anticipated. So, believe it or not, we weathered this thing well. The, the problem is, is the Russians have come back uh, with their United Nations um, envoy, 
and said that they are going to file suit against the United States, specifically Joe Biden, mm. because they say they had the evidence that the United States um, uh, sabotaged the pipeline and that we blew up the pipeline, um, even though the United States says that we think they did. And unfortunately, we don't have any proof of that. There's I mean, no... we've, we've been so chummy with Russia. I mean, how could they ever accuse us of doing that? How far down is it? Yeah, we're, we're deep. deep. Yeah, it's nuts. I mean, it's literally nuts. And the, the problem is, is, is this, you know, this world is starting to fall apart like a, you know, like a, an eggshell that just hit the floor, you know. I mean, it's starting to crack in a hundred different places. And this is, markets don't like this type of instability. That increases the risk profile and it causes prices to go higher because of these kinds of things. And, you know, it's not going to look good. Uh, if uh, you know the world that doesn't necessarily like the United States anyway turns around and says, "Okay, you guys blew up that pipeline anyway," and um, it just looks like we're the big bully, and that's what we get accused of. Is there any joining credible us, joining us on seven ten KURV? Is Tim Snyder from Matador Economics? Uh, we're talking about Nord Stream and how it's not here anymore. Uh, and for whatever reason, it, it, why, it's no longer there anymore, and it's affecting a lot of people in uh, Northern Europe. I'm sorry, David, go ahead with your, your question. I'm, I'm wondering if there's any uh, um, re reliable reporting or, uh, or reliable evidence on who did it. There are, there are reporters who sometimes who have access to this kind of stuff, but I haven't seen it anywhere. There, there, there's, you know, there probably is. I'm quite sure there is. Um, there would be evidence of, of you know, whatever they used, to, whatever incendiary device that they used to break to blow up that Nord Stream one. They and they've already fixed that. I mean, they've already got that if they needed it. The problem is that we've got sanctions against North against the Russians from the EU, so they're not going to use Russian natural gas. Um, it's just there's just a hundred different. Uh, what is it? What's called death, death by a thousand cuts, and and that's yeah. what we're dealing with. Aside from the fact that we're living in a world where we can't even get told what what five or four um, silly little whatever flying objects, you know, in the sky, uh. where they came from and who owned them. <laughs> you know, nobody tells the truth anymore. It's crazy. You're absolutely right, Tim. You're absolutely <laughs> right. But I, I wanted to ask you because I saw, I saw something in uh, the Dallas Business Journal, I think it was, yesterday about the, the state of energy uh, what, for, for 2023. What, what is that and what did the report have to say? You know, it, it came from the American Petroleum Institute. Um, and they do a report every year. It's called the State of Energy, and this the State of Energy in 2023. It was a great rah-rah piece. It talked about the virtues and the values of what happens. They talked about cell phones and 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 cars and you know everything that you can possibly manage uh, manage to uh, to conjure up in your mind uh, starts with a barrel of crude oil. And, you know, it was a really good piece. It looks like we're in good shape from a production standpoint. We've got our energy information numbers today that show that we're still producing at 12.3 million barrels of crude oil per day, which is a substantial amount of uh, crude oil in this market. Uh, the Chinese are coming back uh, with demand. And it looks like the Russians um, are going are gonna to fulfill as much of that Chinese demand as they possibly can. So that's going to offset the crude oil that they would have sold 
to Northern Europe anyway. So, you know, things are starting to stir back up again, and it may kick in a little bit of inflation. If we're not real careful, we may see some some spiking prices. And we've talked, the three of us have talked about this several times. I expect to see an increase in prices uh, coming just before we start to the new blends in April and uh, probably up into sometime in May. I have a question, uh, and I, I, I don't know where I saw this. It's going to be very vague. Um, okay. Some somebody laying out a list of goals for the rest of the decade, and one was to be completely um, elect, electric transportation. No, it was do away with gasoline and hydrocarbons, as they call them, by the end of the decade to be. Um, yeah gas gasoline diesel free um that just uh, that just seems like a very a very daunting goal assuming they can even do it it just seems like it's one that's going to make lots of expense well and it will cripple this world's economy um if you sit back and think about it world demand for crude oil is 100 million barrels a day okay United mm-hmm. States demand for crude oil is right at 20 million barrels a day. So we take a fifth of it ourselves. Uh, the developed world takes the majority, and then there's a small portion. Now, remember, 69% of the energy requirements for the United States come from oil and gas and natural uh, oil, primarily oil, and natural gas. And then mm-hmm. you've got coal that's still about 11%. The rest is renewables. It's about 8% is renewables. And how you make up that difference in a 92 quadrillion BTU um, demand for yeah. energy, is it, the math doesn't work. It just can't happen. And the thing that's unfortunate about it, which was my mis- main issue, guys, with, with the 2023 API report, was the fact that they did not address the fact that we can't reach those numbers and that California can't do what they're doing. We can't have uh, with, with, you know, abandoning all fossil fuel vehicles and those kinds of things by 2030 or 2035 the whole thing's nuts well they want to do it by 2030 this this person who is um i didn't know the name but it was not from a prominent organization or something but i guess the point of the question was for people who think no they can't be serious apparently the other team is very serious about doing that which would be i would think catastrophic which means a lot of cars that people are going to be buying the next two three four years would be obsolete because they're gasoline it seems very question. pie in the sky go ahead, it, go ahead. This, this this ought to make you crazy because if if the fact that that we know we can't provide the power for this already we know we can't provide the power for this uh complete transition over to to, to the uh renewables and those kinds of things like wind and solar uh, the problem we're dealing with is that we have the auto companies, Ford's, General Motors, Chrysler, mm-hmm. Daimler, you know, Daimler, Chrysler, uh, Toyota Motor Company, including Lexus, all, Mercedes, all of them, jumping headlong into this. If you watch the Super Bowl, all they all yeah. you saw was these commercials about energy and electric vehicles and how all this stuff, how wonderful this is all going to be. What are they going to do as a corporation? They are making decisions that their stockholders should hold their feet to the fire over because they cannot, if they completely abandon the uh, internal combustion engine for an electric vehicle, the economy can't handle it. We can't remove fossil fuels 
even if Joe Biden wished that we could. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't even know what to say to that because you're absolutely right. Thanks a lot, Tim. We Thank gotta you. Get going. Unfortunately, we're out of time. That's Tim Snyder. Sign up for the newsletter at matadoreconomics.com. This is News Talk 710 KURV, your 956 Drive Home. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. News Talk 710 KURV. When news breaks, we break in. Break in. Breaking news. Stay alert and listen to the weather forecast. We need to be aware and alert to what's going on. Breaking news means it's happening now. And we mean now. Breaking news underway right now. Breaking news on News Talk 710 KURV means we're bringing you the news as it happens. We have In this particular instance, we are in receipt of information. When news breaks, we'll break in. Count on News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. Joining us now on 710 KURV. Now that Austin is thawed out, we can get a good update about what's happening at the Texas Ledge. Yeah. Uh, assuming, uh, assuming we can get some of these guys in committee, and I think there's a priority list out and... There's a mm-hmm. lot of stuff going on. Uh, let's start with let's start with the priority list. So what, what do they want to do right now? Well, the lieutenant governor yesterday put out his list of his top 30 priorities for the Texas Senate, and that, that's not going to match up perfectly with what the House is going to do. They each <laughs> come out with their priority list. And I think when the lieutenant governor started doing that, um, he started with a list of 20, and it's just gotten longer. Now he mm-hmm. has 30 uh, items on the list, and it's interesting. And, and if you think about having a list where just almost nothing is excluded. If everything's a priority, nothing's a priority, right? You've got to get all these things done. When you look at what's on that list, some of the things just make sense. I mean, you know, strengthening the electricity grid, of course, that's something that will be debated. What does that actually mean? He he has a different idea from what the governor and the speaker huh. think about that. Adding natural gas plants, uh, increasing the business property tax exemption, adding additional property tax relief, homestead exemption, taking it up to 70000 Those all sound sort of like what, Davis? Those sound like bread and butter sort of things, right? This is not controversial. But then go on down the list. Oh, we'll get to the controversial stuff. Uh, keeping uh, our children safe from, quote, exposure to drag shows. Well, that's on yeah. the list. You're sneering. Banning North Texas cer- had a lot of that stuff, apparently. Banning certain the- books and libraries, ending child gender modification and all that. It'll get controversial pretty quickly. That banning critical race theory, getting rid of diversity, equity, and inclusion yeah. uh, at higher uh, education uh, campuses. I mean, all of that stuff. That's DEI is the new CRT. You're going to hear all about that <laughs> uh, throughout the legislative session. So he's got a lot uh, that he wants to get done there. I'm not sure that everything that's on this list is going to be something that the Speaker of the House is going to be all for. I mean, one of the things, of course, is school vouchers, a school choice. And actually, Uh, it's interesting that in the uh, priority as laid out by the lieutenant governor, he calls it empowering parental rights, including mm -hmm. school choice. But he didn't say ESAs or vouchers. He didn't say education uh, savings accounts slash school vouchers. Which which tells Uh, you. So the way that these guys talk about these things. It, you know, it matters because um, if they if they run into a brick wall in the Texas House, which I think they're going to, uh, that would mean egg on the face of the lieutenant governor and the governor who has really prioritized school choice as of late. 
The governor has talked about something that's voucher-like, which is those ESAs, those education savings accounts. Uh, but as I was looking at the committee assignments that came out last week, Zach, uh, when I look at the Public Education Committee, as well as the State Affairs Committee in the House, both of them seem to be just a place where vouchers would go to die. I mean, hmm. neither of the chairmen seem to be interested in that. Uh, State Affairs is Todd Hunter from Corpus Christi, uh, and the other is Brad Buckley from the Colleen area. Both of them have uh, what I would call anti-voucher voting records. Uh, they're not for it. Uh, that doesn't mean they couldn't be lobbied on it. I don't think Todd Hunter's going to suddenly be about all about it. Uh, but uh, but Buckley has a you know a record that's against it. Uh, and so if, if the governor in his state of the state address this week really comes out all for school vouchers and makes it a big priority of his, then I think uh, the governor and the Texas House are on a collision course. Joining us on 710-KURV, we're getting an update from the Texas Ledge with Scott Braddock from the Quorum Report. Davis Rankin has a question. Uh, several questions. When is the uh, governor's state of the state address? Supposed He's going to do that Thursday night um, in the evening, 6 o'clock, uh, during the 6 o'clock hours when that's going to start. Okay. Uh, he's doing it live from San Marcos. At an event that's going to be sure. held by the Chamber of Commerce instead of the instead of at the Texas Capitol, where it has traditionally been done, yeah, in the House of Representatives, a joint session of the House and Senate, he's eschewing that. It's because they're going to clap for him. They're going to applaud more loudly. Plus, you can have beverage alcohol, um, which you're not supposed to do on the floor of the House, but we know that it's they not do. that it's never happened. Yeah, no, right. uh, never, never, never. I'm sure they. Uh, it's usually a deal that happens in the morning, uh, joint session. The legislature and instead it's going to be this thing where the governor's going to lay out his vision for texas but the legislature is not invited and you might remember when he did it last time during covid he did do it uh, remotely now not from the house floor uh but that was for covid right yeah. this is more this seems more like a snub of the legislature and i can tell you there's a lot of members who feel that way well you you have written i believe or or told us that his relations with the legislature even the republican members not great not the greatest you know um, the governor doesn't have a lot of great interpersonal relationships certainly with people in the legislative branch uh you know the, this governor has done so much to kind of consolidate buds. power within yeah. his office uh and basically he i mean in his estimation and he's made comments along these lines i mean he he, he believes that he gives orders to the legislature that he tells them what to do um and you know the thing is for the most part as you know, in the time he's been governor, that's actually been correct. I I'm trying to think of anything, Davis, that he's asked them to do that they didn't uh, in the time that he's been governor since 2015. There are some exceptions to that, but they're few and far between. If, if you know, he wanted um, that that pre-K program back in mm -hmm. 2015 that a lot of the conservative uh, activists were calling godless socialism, <laughs> and I I may have told the story on on this on the on the show I'm before, sorry. but it was interesting. The governor. And Republican lawmakers were taking heat from conservative activists about that. And there was a caucus meeting, a private meeting of the Republican members of the Texas House. And Abbott went to visit with them in that meeting. And he told them, this is our reporting out of the out of the meeting. Uh, he told them that if any of them faced primary challenges because of voting for his pre-K you know, expansion, bad, so well, then sad. he would help them out in their primaries. And the truth was that. And that was in 2015. In 2016, when primaries happened, he was nowhere to be found. He didn't help he any of them, them at all. Didn't help any right. of them at all. And then in the next legislative session from from 2017 into the 2019 primary cycle, the governor didn't really help incumbents, but he did challenge a few incumbents who had you know voted on things that 
were oh, wow. sort of challenging his power. You might remember that there were three uh, members that he campaigned against actively. So there's really no shelter in the storm for those Republican members with Abbott. And if he crosses them, he goes after them. Uh, and so I, I would say yeah, his, his relationship with the legislature has been icy. Of course, you might remember with everything that happened in 2021, easy to forget some of the specific things that happened. But during that year, just two years ago, the Abbott, the Abbott administration vetoed the legislative funding in yes, that standoff over that. the, remember that, over the uh, elections bill, the Democrats went to Washington. Freaked out the staff, I'm sure, because they're the ones Absolutely. who... Yeah, it vetoed the, and if, if you think about it, he vetoed you know funding for the legislative branch. He said it was because the Democrats had gone off to Washington yeah. in that quorum break. But because there are more Republican members of the legislature than Democratic ones, that means that he vetoed the paychecks for more Republicans than Democrats. Well, Scott, you're just getting you know, down in the weeds there, Scott. Yeah, and... well, this is what happened. So, so uh, he, he didn't want to go question. talk to them. The serious week. question. I've they got can the, watch on TV. I was going to say, you don't think that the governor thought he was helping by not being around with some of these people that uh, <laughs> that he said he it was going to help? Some, it might, might have, have been, some it, animosity. Yeah. It, no, no. It, yeah, it might have. It might have helped more that he wasn't there. You know, <laughs> maybe that's well, how he thought right. he was helping. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, Scott question. Braddock from the Corma, uh, Scott Braddock from the Corm Report joining us on 710 KURB. We're talking about the Texas ledge right now. They have their list of priorities up. Uh, David, go ahead. Uh, Thirty priorities, which is, as you said, if everything's priority, none is. Some of them are mundane. Some are going to be very controversial and require mm -hmm. lots of arm twisting, I'm sure. Um, I've often wondered if um, he's really set on all of those or he's diluting the list to cover up those that he's really stuck on, the ones he really wants and the others he's willing to throw away. Um, I was told a long time ago, you can put a bill in. Mm -hmm. um, let's say a, a bill to abolish the quorum report and it goes to the committee and you tell you, the sponsor, tell the committee chairman, I don't want it coming out. So it's dead, mm -hmm. right? That's You're happened. doing it, but it's ain't going to happen because you've been, how do you find that stuff out? That what? has happened before, but I will tell you with the Lieutenant governor, when he puts his list out, he wants every one of these bills to be Texas law. And he has gone to war for some of his stuff previously. You remember in 2017, mm -hmm. Uh, the thing that he went to war over was the bathroom bill. We had special yeah. session, uh, you know, the special, some called it the special session from hell uh, that <laughs> year when the governor put 20 items on the, on the call, 20 topics on the call, including the bathroom bill, which still didn't pass uh, with Speaker Strauss uh, running the house that year. Um, and if you think about the last legislative session, I believe almost everything on Patrick's list passed, if not all of them. Uh, but toward the middle of the session, he was getting frustrated with the House because they hadn't passed one of the items on his list. And he was holding up a bunch of the House bills. I think yeah. 400 House bills were sitting on his desk and he wasn't going to let them through the process. Wow. And I found out that the reason was because the House had not even held a hearing on his Star Spangled Banner Act, which required oh, any yeah. any sports event with tax funding has to, you know, the, the Star Spangled Banner has to be performed at the beginning. And people don't even remember what that was about. You know, we have, the, we have soccer team, soccer games down here between Mexican teams, yeah. between teams from Mexico. You can just right. see that. It was because that year it was a, it was a one or two day story that yeah. Mark Cuban had told, you know, the, you know, the folks running the Dallas Mavericks don't do the Star Spangled Banner at the beginning of the games. This was when nobody was at the games because it was COVID and no one was in the stands. And um, somebody noticed that they weren't performing the Star Spangled Banner. And the NBA told Mark Cuban, no, no, it's our, it's our policy. 
All NBA teams have to do the Star Spangled Banner at the beginning of the game. So private business took care of it. Cuban just shrugged his shoulders and said, okay, we'll go back to doing it. And that was it. But instead, the, the lieutenant governor made it one of his top priorities. If I remember right, it was Senate Bill 4. And if your listeners may know, yeah, it was, it was the lower the number... There. Well, the lower the number, that means the higher the priority. If it's Senate, it's if it's Senate Bill One, that's the budget. That's the the thing that they have to pass. And he made it. I think it was Senate Bill Four or Five. It was one of his absolute top priorities. But in fairness to him, only slight fairness to him, it was before the winter storm that year that that, that played out. It, before the winter storm in 2021, the lieutenant governor and others were kind of trying to just dream up and think of things that they needed to do, right? And then all of a sudden, in the middle of the session. This winter storm happens, and we were off to the races. And that's uh, Speaking of six races. and seven on the priority list right there. Uh, fixing whatever's left, which I'm sure the governor is not happy about, because I think he had mentioned something. Hey, we already fixed the grid. Why is this on the agenda for the Texas yeah. ledge? What gives? They disagree about what to do on uh, our electricity needs in Texas going forward. The governor wants to go with what the Public Utility Commission has, has recommended to the legislature, which is, in short, is a system by which most ratepayers would pay more to have supposedly more reliable electricity. Uh, Patrick says we just need basically to have more of what we have, which is to have more dis dispatchable uh, electricity, more, more thermal generation in particular. Hey, did they hire that clown for city manager in Austin after all? Clown? <laughs> the clown. You know, you know, you know what I'm talking they're, about? They're keeping Austin weird, I can see. So we're keeping Austin <laughs> weird. We have had, it's funny that you bring that up. We have had just a, a disastrous beginning of the year with this ice storm that happened uh, in Austin. But I will say I'm very disappointed in both the city and the state on that. We had uh, three quarters of an inch of ice in Austin, which is significant, and it was one of the worst ice storms that we've had in Central Texas. Uh, but Zach, if you think about the fact that if, if you, if you, 10, 15 years ago, you would have had the state and local governments partnering hand in hand to make sure that people are okay. Um, and I don't know, well, I don't know that the, think of this, I don't know that the mayor and the governor ever even had a phone call during that storm. Wow. I mean, they just don't no. even talk to you. Forget about the fact that it happened in Austin. You think the state of Texas doesn't have the resources to keep people on the roads for a you know to, people couldn't go anywhere for yes, essentially for a few days, and of course we do. Uh, it, they would say, "Oh, we don't have uh, you know the the kind of um, the kind of rock salt they have you know in the in the Midwest." <laughs> well, go buy some. We have thirty three billion extra dollars to sit around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Send no, someone was, to Walmart. They didn't do, and as far as I can tell, they didn't do anything. And so, so you can't have a major American city shut down for a week i mean we're always bragging about the economy around here Let's oh no no what was making me laugh was uh pablo vegas and ERCOT immediately yeah. they're like this was not us this is not our problem they threw their hands up and then it's well, on them <laughs> let, well, let austin key. figure it out well, that, I, i'm sorry i'm sorry right we gotta to get it. going though we gotta yeah. get going it's those all gotta... finger pointing and not solutions around here zach you're right <laughs> so yeah you're they right, didn't come Scott. together at all ERCOT right. was just like nah this is austin's problem Hey, thanks not a lot. Us, Scott, Scott Braddock from The Core Report joining us on Newstalk 710KURV. This is the 956 Drive Home. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on Newstalk 710KURV and KURV.com. 
start your day with news and interviews important to you with the Valley's morning news. Weekday mornings starting at 6. Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan bring you the latest headlines and hourly discussions with AccuWeather to get you ready for your day and special guest interviews on topics that affect you and your family. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, guys. We'll let you know enjoy the show. It's what you need to start your day. The Valley's morning news with Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan. Weekday mornings starting at 6 on News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. Americans on spring break in Mexico under a State Department warning. It's level four, basically saying you shouldn't be there right now. If you're thinking about going over there, don't go. So uh, joining us on 710 KURV to get an idea of what's what's, uh, happening over there is Alfonso Poncho Ortiz from Breitbart, Texas. Yeah, there are a handful of states that they said, yeah, you should not, you, you shouldn't have any business going over there. Colima, Guerrero, Michoacan, Tamaulipas, Zacatecas. Uh, what, why, what are the reasons that these states were chosen, and what's the worst that could happen? Well, first of all, this is not new. This is something that's been ongoing for a while. It's just that because of spring break, they're reissuing the, the warning. But those six states are the ones that are seeing the most curtailed violence in all of Mexico. So that is why they're warning spring breakers, hey, like, if you go to Mexico, don't go to these areas. And uh, basically, it's the same story that we've said, we've been, you know, speaking about for years. Cartel violence takes place. There's there shootouts, kidnappings, uh, highway robberies, you name it. And sadly, in the last couple of years, uh, Mexico has seen a surge in violence. And most recently, uh, in areas that were not touched, there's some places that are not mentioned in this warning that are seeing a lot of violence. For example, Cancun. The Cancun, Cozumel, Maya Rivera area, that is where now you're seeing a lot of cartel violence. Beheadings, uh, executions, mass graves, things of that nature. Now you're seeing those in, in, in the Cancun area. And it all has to do with fights or a turf wars over the sale of drugs, the trafficking of people, and uh, pretty much the distribution of, of drugs, narcotics. Why are these states hmm. in particular such high... Uh I don't want to. I don't want to say tourist areas, but like, why are these? Why are these places such uh, sought after locations so to travel to? Yeah, why are they so popular to go to? Well, so for example, like like some of the states you mentioned, for example, Colima and Guerrero. I mean, Guerrero is where Acapulco uh, is. So Acapulco used to be, you know, the tourist place to go a couple of years ago. However, because of the violence that's taking place in that whole state, it's sort of kind of not it's going to become more of a lo- local tourist spot, you know, for people from Mexico city and, and Mexico just to go there instead of international tourism. They've all more kind of gone to Cancun. And even though Quintana Roo is not in that, those six most violent states listed in that warning. However, Quintana Roo is now seeing high levels of violence as well. And it's just a matter of time before that, that region makes that warning as well. And in the other states, you know, like, uh, Colima, Tamaulipas. I mean, those are areas where, you know, you have large-scale shootouts, gun battles with armored vehicles, gunmen, you know, all, all, all the stuff that we're sort of used to because, uh, 
you know, we're here, Reynosa is just south of us, so every so often we hear about these large-scale confrontations. However, you know, somebody from Ohio, Kansas, they have no clue what's going on just south of the border from us. Joining us on 710 KURV from Breitbart, Texas, is Idolfonso Poncho Ortiz. We're talking about the state of Mexico right now as uh, Americans are getting ready for spring break and those uh, high tourist areas. And, hey, speaking about that, you always hear you always hear it from people, well, you know, it's okay if you just go to the, the, the touristy areas. Those are the safest places to be. That's not necessarily true, is it? Yes and no. I mean, you know, and it's sort of a, a, a gamble of sorts. <clears throat> because in places like Cancun, you know, in the past, they used to leave the tourist areas alone. And it was because there was one dominant cartel in that region. So it was basically the Sinaloa cartel and their subordinates. And they sort of kind of, you know, the violence would take place away from the tourist areas. However, when you have Jalisco moving in, Cartel Jalisco moving in, now you have Jalisco and, uh, and Sinaloa fighting for control of Cancun, of control of, of, of uh, Playa del Carmen, of control of Cozumel, and of control of uh, the Mayan Riviera. Not so much because of the, the trafficking per se, but the actual uh, drugs that they sell to the tourists, the alcohol, the sex trade, you know, because it, it's one of the biggest uh, hotspots uh, for tourism in Mexico. So there's a huge demand for, for you know, name your sin, drugs, uh, sex trade, alcohol. So they're trying, they're killing each other to fill that gap. Uh, let's talk about something that you have up at Breitbart, Texas right now, something that went up today about... Uh, AMLO is calling on U.S. voters to reject border security candidates. Now, we just we just finished talking about uh, basically everything that's going nuts in Mexico as far as cartel violence and, and all these tourist attractions and stuff. But And now you got AMLO saying, hey, listen, all, anybody who says that they're in favor of border security, maybe you should back off of those guys. What's the story there? Well, um, pretty much it's a continuation. If you remember, when AMLO came into power, he said that the war on drugs in Mexico was over that they were going to go for a peaceful approach. You know, that's where the term hugs, not bullets, abrazos, no balazos came out. Mm -hmm. Then instead of fighting cartel gunmen head on, they were going to promote social programs so people would kind of be good people. And he's always been preaching that since the beginning. And, you know, we've seen it when, you know, when he's taking a very soft approach on, on the cartels and basically not touching them almost at all. And now you're seeing violence spiking all over Mexico. So yesterday during his news conference, uh, he was talking about how Joe Biden was the nicest president to migrants because he was in first calling for border walls or militarization and that under Biden, there were no immigration rates. And he basically slammed, uh, I mean, basically Republicans uh, because they were only calling for militarization of the border and, you know, border security. Uh, for political reasons and, and, and trying to get support to get elected. And then AMLO said that uh, he, he pretty much pointed to the, the high number of Hispanics and Spanish speakers that are in the U.S. And he basically said that uh, if the U.S. government was rough against migrants, that pretty much they would do everything, you know, they would pressure the U.S. voters to vote against uh, 
Republicans and individuals that push for stronger border security. You know what I don't like about that? Go ahead, Davey. I'm sorry. I've been hogging the guest this entire segment. No. But uh, you get the last question, though, because we're running short on time. Did, well, I, I'm not saying that doesn't bother me, but it's tone deaf. Does he not see that it's tone deaf and counterproductive? Guess not. Well, uh, remember, AMLO has always preached about being a non-interventionist. Yeah. And depending on who you ask, you know, this could actually be political intervention. You know, because he's uh, trying to influence you as voters. Thank you. Even though he's the president of another country. Thank well, you. That's work. what I was going to say. Yes, because they, they get upset about, uh, you know, like Russian influence when it was the Trump years. But like, oh, no, we're not, we're not talking about Mexican influence. Well, if, if, if Fox picks this up, for example, and they want to beat, beat a drum about this, I don't know if it's going to scare more people to vote for border security candidates, but it's sure not going to hurt him it just it's a mark it just seems clumsy to me for for him to do that so um i didn't realize that the cartels uh, this is naivete on my part the cartels are not just struggling for territory for export they're trying to be like the mafia the american mafia control everything control all the sin goes on right that's it well they of course but they've been doing that forever i mean that that is why they're so much so powerful because remember uh you know it's not just the, you know uh, a cartel boss and the gunman they have uh you know financial institutions banks uh you know a whole infrastructure that they have so they not only focus on on the drugs you know they focus on migrants the theft of fuel extortion kidnapping sex trade i mean uh, you know that 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 is why they have so much control because they literally have control every aspect of society in some places they're yeah, diversified and I, I know nothing's new nothing has changed but it's it's good to get a reminder of everything that's going on thanks a lot yeah. for giving it to Thank us you, Poncho ortiz from breitbart texas joining us on news talk 710 kurv you're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 drive home on news talk 710 kurv and kurv.com you're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids to running errands, your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURV. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURV. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV.